This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Brought to you by Noble Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center needs, both carrier and software. Each show, we talk to industry leaders on how they got their start in the call center industry, because let's be honest, it's not a dream job. Find all our episodes, you can go to our website, that's www.nobelbiz.com. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel, or follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for future episodes. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of First Contact, Stories of the Call Center. We're really excited today's guest is going to be helping us understand how sales impacts the industry. And obviously, for those of you who understand sales, you may be going, oh no, sales, bad, evil. You may say, yeah, sales, that's how I make a living. But let's try to focus today on exactly what's the relevance in the contact center space. So a little bit about our guest today. Um, let's kind of dive in a little bit. So despite having a marine biology degree, don't judge him for that, right? It's like, how is that the background? Let's dive into the fact that he's worked in tech support, government contracting roles, and then not getting his first official sales job until he was 27. So Jason Cutter founded the, the Cutter Consulting Group with a focus on coaching and training individuals and being hired by companies around the world, basically, dramatically improving their selling effectiveness, which is awesome. He's also the author of Selling with Authentic Persuasion, Transform from Order Taker to Quota Breaker, and host of the Authentic Persuasion Show, the Scalable Call Center Sales Podcast, and Call Center Confidence with Cutter and Cat. All right, if I had a cup of water, I would totally use you right now. Jason, thanks so much for joining the show. Love that we're going to talk about sales because that's kind of my background, but happy to have you here. Welcome to the show. Appreciate it, Christian. Super excited to be here, especially to talk about sales on a contact center podcast, which, you know, we all know sales is a dirty word for most people. So we'll see what happens today. Yeah, well, you you know, we either had half of the audience to now or the other half is going like it's about time. But I think we all have to realize that when we look at sales, we, sales, we have this idea that it's like this person, this human being that goes out and convinces you to buy something you don't need. Or afterwards, you decide I have a regret, right? There's this like negative stigma to it. But I always hear the opposite side, right? And of course, I have my own lens that I see stuff. And I look at it as, okay, everybody's in sales. Whether your sales title or role has it, I believe that every single person is in sales and you impact every single experience that your clients have with your product or service. What are your thoughts on that perspective? Uh, I... it. It's literally my show. My podcast initially was called the Sales Experience Podcast because, you know, there's a lot of focus in the industry about the customer experience. And I wanted to look at just the sales experience. And I literally finished every show for the first few hundred episodes with uh, everything in life is sales. And people remember the experience that you gave them uh, because no matter who you are and what you do, there's some act of sales or persuasion. Either it's with a customer, it's with the public or maybe it's even your manager and you want them to agree with your ideas or whatever that look, getting your significant other to pick the movie that you want. There's some element of, of sales and persuasion and all that, which is why it's important for people to realize what effective, uh, good intent sales looks like. Understood. So obviously we want to talk about how it 
impacts the contact center, right? So let's kind of step back a minute and go back to the roots of the show. How did you even get in this space? Because I know you didn't wake up one morning and just had an epiphany like, oh, I, I have to work in the contact center space. Talk to me about your journey. Definitely not. And I'm laughing because it was funny. You know, the, the shortest version I can say is that uh, as a result of my childhood, how I grew up and how I felt people, I chose marine biology and tagging sharks instead of anything to do with humans. Like that was the safest and best choice for me uh, was to deal with, let's say, 18 foot great white sharks. That was that was safer than people. Um, and then life took me through some different journeys. I spent some time in restaurants, which got me warmed up to dealing with people. Then, like you said, in tech support at Microsoft in a call center environment, and then uh, got into sales and then in telephone sales, inside sales, which I had been raised in sales at 27 that it was all face to face. You couldn't be effective unless you met with someone face to face and built trust and relationships. Then doing it over the phone, I realized the power and effectiveness of that, the ability to scale and, you know, not waste time with driving around or appointments and things like that, but also the challenges with not being able to see someone, not being able to read body language that, you know, 70 to 80% of communication that you miss out when you don't have, you know, the face to face uh, and how difficult that is. And then seeing how challenging it is for people who also didn't think they were going to be in sales and then aren't trained well enough, but the company is relying on them for success. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's interesting about what you said, and we'll have to at some point get back to sharks because that's actually one of my favorite animals, but we'll go back to that on another podcast episode. Right. But let's kind of go back and look at what your sales journey, right? You, it looks like there was no consistency, right? Like I'm going to study, be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. I ended up as a doctor or any other, right. You know, craft or focus. It's like you fell into sales or sales fell on you. However, that came about, right? Let's talk about sales in general, just before we dive into the contact center space. What are the things that you see when people take sales jobs? What is the driver behind that? And obviously in the contact center, we'll kind of pivot to how do people end up in the sales positions or roles within the actual contact center environment? You know, I think there's obviously some segment of the population that knows they like sales, enjoy sales. Uh, they spend some part of their adulthood or early adulthood in some kind of selling capacity or realizing, hey, I've got the ability to persuade people. And then they're, they're off to the races, right? There's that segment. Then there's most of the others, or I'll say a lot of the others, which is people who don't know what they want to do, right? They don't know what kind of job they need um, and what they would be good at. And so they're trying things or they know that sales could make them money. They need money and they think that that's a good way to go and they should be able to figure it out. And whether or not that works, you know, that's a different topic, but it's somebody who's just like, I don't know what I want to do, but let's do it. Or they see an opportunity and say, Hey, I can do that. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. So when we dive deeper into the contact center space and we talk about sales, right, there's this dynamic that's very interesting to me because on the outside sales world, right, the face to face, I, I really believe that it's the person, right? That person interaction with the other person it's not the script, right? You're not reading a script and they're in front of you reading their script back to you, right? And you're having this kind of monologue, dialogue going on with these individual like written pieces. You're actually just genuinely, whether that person likes you enough to want to listen to what you have to say and that you're not wasting their time, then hopefully you have a good conversation. The result is you both benefit from doing business together, right? But 
let's say I'm calling inbound to a contact center, I'm making outbound calls from a contact center. There's a lot of scripting in a lot of ways, right? There's a lot of structure of you gotta fit this thing. So what do you see in the difference between salespeople that fit in a sales role in a contact center, if any at all, versus people that are these outside salespeople that go out and may not be walking around with a script or do they, they just don't come across that way naturally. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you ended with that because that's what I was going to focus on. I mean, I think one of the greatest benefits of contact center telephone inside sales is that you can have access to all of these tools in front of you that you don't have face to face, right? It's the difference between when I do a virtual presentation, right? A virtual speech for an organization or a group. I have multiple screens. I can look at things. I have cues. I have notes. I have uh, you know, my script or my outline versus being on stage like I was a few weeks ago, I got nothing. It's either in my head or it's going to go bad, right? And so, but I think the prep is the same. A really true sales professional face-to-face -face or in a contact center, whether they're reading the script or not, they have a script. It's in their head. And a lot of salespeople, like, I get this debate all the time. They hate the thought of scripts. They think scripts are bad. They got into sales to just do what they do best, right? The script is too controlling and, and it is restrictive and they hate the thought of scripts. But if you listen to any really good sales professional who's been doing it for any length of time, they will literally say the same thing for sections of the conversation. Now, it's still a free-flowing conversation, but I call them the monologues, right? It's like the introduction and what our company does and how our product works and those kind of segments if you listen to 10 of their conversations in person or over the phone, it will be the same word for word in those segments because they have a script, it's just in their head. Contact center, you have that on the screen, not that you always wanna read it, but you could, and there's times when reading the script actually is beneficial for the sales process, which we could talk about, um, but it's still about that consistency. It's so important to not just wing it every time because then how do you know if, if things are working? It's like, I'm gonna bake a cake and I'm not gonna use a recipe because I'm just gonna throw a little bit of this and a little bit of that in there. No, like even professional bakers don't need to read a recipe. They have it in their head, but there is a formula. Yeah, I'm glad you used the word formula because I, I look at it as a plan, a formula, other things. It's basically what it is that you need to do to be successful, but it doesn't literally mean verbatim, not only, in the way you say it, right? It doesn't talk about tone or it doesn't talk about the pause in between words or whether or not you enunciate in, an, in a particular way or not. And so what ends up happening is let's go back to the contact center, right? You have people that are being interrupted, basically, unless they're expecting your call, their day's been interrupted. You're calling them, you're an interruption in that moment. On the flip side of it, they're calling inbound. It's like, this is my time right now. It's precious. It's finite. And I need something from you right now, right? Not a week from now, not an hour from now, not waiting in a queue. I don't want to be sitting here transferred place to place. And they finally get to somebody, right? Assuming that it's a good experience and they get straight to a person, inbound sales, you know, it's direct marketing or some sort of other avenue or they're doing an outbound interaction. In that moment, the way they react to that call, the way they use that script as a guideline. And I'm not trying to advocate for don't read word for word on your script. You know, if that's your business model, then so be it. But uh, what I'm saying is when you go back and you look at that from your perspective, what are some really important things that you see to help people that are in those positions when they are being scripted to become more natural or become more personable, more 
of any other the soft skills are important there or is it just i'm a robot and if i say the script i magically win so here's what's interesting and the the reading the script and being a robot it's fascinating how well that can actually work not for the whole sales conversation but for portions of it because here's the thing whether that person is an inbound call or you're making an outbound call and you're interrupting them and hoping the moons are in alignment right where they are okay with a phone call and interested in what you have to sell the thing that fundamentally occurs is that people most people don't like the thought of salespeople. Sales is a dirty word, and we can debate that all we want, but most people don't like to be sold. They don't wanna, they've had bad experiences in the past, and if they detect that someone is selling them with their own incentives and, and uh, uh, compensation in mind, the walls go up or the walls stay up. What I've found is a lot of times when you're reading from a script, it's basically saying, I'm just doing my job. I'm here to help, right? This is more DMV than it is car dealership, and so, I'm just going to help you with this. And so there like I do a lot of training around, you know, the value of also not being salesy and being careful with how you do it. For the people who are in these roles or uh, leaders who are running these uh, uh, organizations in the contact center especially, one of the biggest things with the script is understanding what you need to have scripted and what you need to say either neutral or with whatever inflections that's authentic to you. That's why I wrote my book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion, which I cover in there, because um, it's about you, right? It's about who are you, not who am I trying to be like me or trying to be like Christian. It's about who is that individual. And then the other part is with the scripting that I see most organizations fall short on training their reps or providing is the transitions, right? So we built some rapport. How do I get to the question? I asked some questions. How do I get to the solution that I'm going to provide? I provided the solution. How am I going to close this thing? And you, know, you can put some bullet points in between, but if you don't have those transitions nailed, that results in order takers who are floundering and hoping the other person, the prospect, knows where they want to go and they don't. So do you believe then in sales when it comes to order taking, right? is that you're passively a participant in there, right? You're just a spectator to the sport where you're sitting back and you're hoping that your team wins, right? As just by the fact that you're there, but you're not doing anything per se to drive it. So would you say that the process, the script, anything else is really also the end results getting created by you pushing towards that, asking for things, confirming things, doing things. Is that part of it just as critical? Because you can have a great conversation. Everyone's in agreement. Your product has value. It's important for them to do. It. And then at the very end, it's like nothing happens. Yeah. And I think that's so important because uh, a lot of times, and it's not intentional and uh, it's not necessarily done on purpose, but it's our default, especially as humans, if we get into psychology and evolutionary biology and things like that going on in our brains, a lot of people default to taking Bob Berg's advice, and, and I love Bob Berg, he, he does amazing stuff, but his big thing is when all things are equal, people will buy from people they know, like, and trust. And I feel like a lot of people default to thinking that's the formula for sales, know, like, and trust. All I gotta do is get you to know me and then like me, we're gonna build a ton of rapport, then if you trust me enough, you'll just hand over money. And that falls short, right? Those are three of five steps in what I teach uh, and the process I have, but that's just the, the first part. And that, again, like you said, that's where order takers stop is they go, okay, if you know about my product and it seems like it's a good fit, hopefully you'll just agree. 
And a lot of the advice focused on that is, okay, here's how you ask for the sale. Here's how you do this, which I don't necessarily agree with for most sales process. Cause if you're a professional, you're just going to move things forward. Um, but back to your other point, it's about having that process. It's about having the playbook that says I do this and then we've got to do this and then we've got to do this and this and this while at the same time, going back to what we we're talking about scripting, remembering that you have your rep, your agent in the contact center, who's a human having a conversation with the prospective buyer, who's also a human and you can't script all of that and it's messy and it's unpredictable. So you have to have these milestones in place and the destination you need the salesperson to take the conversation to. You know, when I think of sales, right, as a sales leader, we try really hard to find the right people that fit, not only what we're trying to accomplish the organization, but we also try to connect, you know, whether or not this person could be successful here, right? Just because you were successful where you were, will you be successful here? So when we look at the contact center environment, right? I don't know that if you're finding a bunch of outside salespeople that magically transition into the inside telephone or any of the other medias <laughs> that now people are leveraging, right? So do you yeah. see any type of consistency around, hey, these types of people that come from these types of other jobs actually end up doing well in sales? Or is it literally like anything goes, anybody could be a fit, you never know how to find it. How do you find the right talent? What are traits, attributes, or things that contact centers have to look for for salespeople to be successful in there? Any soft skill aspects? Or is this purely read this script, you'll be good as long as you can be likable and you can fit the five steps you're talking about? Yeah, um, I love this question because it's that classic debate, right? Do I hire someone with experience? What kind of person can I find? Do I have to raise them uh, from the ground up? Do I want a blank slate or that veteran that's got the experience? There's five sales success traits Again, I cover in Selling with Authentic Persuasion and their openness, curiosity, creativity, persistence, and authenticity. For the sake of not making this a three-hour show, those are the five. Openness, curiosity, creativity, persistence, and authenticity. For someone to be successful in sales, what I've seen is that they have to have those five traits or working on those five traits at all time and, and being effective. The, Openness, the reason why that one's first, right? Not persistence. You might think, okay, you gotta be persistent to be a great salesperson. No, I want somebody who's open. So if somebody is a seasoned vet, they have been selling outside sales, I'm gonna bring them into the contact center and they're not open. If they're persistent but not open, they are a detriment to my organization because they're gonna wanna do everything the way they think it should be done. And I promise that that will not be what's best for the organization. I promise, I've seen it so many times. Um, they are dangerous from a compliance standpoint, um, from a long-term sales standpoint, like they are, they are truly dangerous. And so openness is important. Somebody who's been doing it for 20 years and they're really open and they're curious and they want to know everything and they're open to feedback, that's worth its weight in gold. Somebody who has no experience, they were working at the t-shirt store at the mall last week, and now they're going to be sitting in my seat in the contact center and they're open and they're curious and they want to learn and they ask good questions. And when I tell them feedback, they do it and put it in place and rock it. That person's worth their weight in gold. So I look at those things. And when I set up recruiting processes and interview processes, put things in place to determine people's level in those five areas more than anything else. I, I actually, for years now, I don't even look at resumes anymore because I just want to know those things about people through conversation. 
So would you say that the only way you find those out yourself, having to be open and seasoned and, and ready to rock, know and can see that kind of thing? Or is there any type of testing that call centers or anybody can do to say, like, hey, uh, here are good questions to ask to test for openness or how do I know openness, right? How do I gauge openness from somebody, right? Because obviously in the end result, when you get in the contact center and you want the outcome for your customer to be yeah. great, right? Memorable yeah. in a positive way. It means the people, not just the process and the technology, but the people are going to be core to your success or failure. <laughs> it's not just you've hired a bunch of robots, right? So any insight into that area of what do you think would be useful in trying to find those people and gauge openness? So you're just trying to get me to tell all the good stuff that my clients pay for, it sounds like. But what I will say, and because I love this conversation and I hope people use this information, one of the biggest things when I'm structuring a recruiting and hiring program is to set up the process similar to what the sales process will be like. Meaning, if there's a script that people need to read in recruiting processes, I will literally give them a portion of the script and not just have them read it, have them memorize part of it and then have them do it off the top of their head. Again, not that they have to memorize it for the job, but A, I want to see, do they have the aptitude to read this memorize it in a day or two or whenever they're ready and then give that back to me. B, I want to see if they're open to that. I have had many people who are like, I'm not reading your script and I'm not memorizing it. I'm not going to go through this process to get the job. What that tells me is they're not open. Not that they're not interested, just that they're not open. If I ask them to do that and I know that's effective and they're not willing to do it even to move forward in the job process, that's all I need to know, right? Also, if it's a short sales cycle, interview process might be shorter in the timeline. If it's a long sales cycle, it should be longer and you should see how persistent people are. Do they follow up, right? Like I know of companies where literally they actually tell people no, who they actually wanna hire, and then they wanna see if that person comes back and says, how do I get this job? I know you said no, but I think I'm a good fit because guess what? That's the kind of person who's gonna treat their pipeline of leads the same way. So somewhere in that spectrum of, you know, the military calls it practice like you fight, right? And and what would the job look like? And then what kind of paces or hoops can you put people through that will tell you how they'll do in the job in that in that microcosm of the recruiting process? You know, I think it's really important on some of the things you hit is that a lot of times we rely too heavily on black and white answers to tests, right? And sometimes we don't even talk to human beings unless they pass a test that in many ways may or may not be good ways of addressing whether or not that person is the right fit for it, right? There are things where maybe the role is very transactional, where it's literally just A plus B and you're good. But I think there's this nuance in sales where, you know, I, I, I have a, my own term for it, but you know, um, I, I call it resourcefully gritty, right? If that person just finds a way, they're resourceful yeah. and they're gritty because this job, if anyone, whether you're in the contact center or outside, if you're in sales as a role, it's the majority of time is not something positive. Nope. And it's the positive part to drive you to the next piece, right? And in the other parts of everybody's job elsewhere, you know, hey, look, you may get good outcomes all day long every day, but here, when we talk about the contact center, it's usually in many ways, now that people have gone remote, I see double-edged swords to it, right? We talk about in the sales culture and that environment where it's like, ring the bell, you got a sale kind of thing, right? 
Yeah. And then you have this other part where it's like, you know, hey, how do we still create an environment where people can be more productive and still get the outcomes? Because at the end of the day, if that department is designed to generate revenue, which is what sales is, right? The, the outcome of all the positive experiences is revenue, protecting it or growing it, right? At least that's from my perspective. What do you see when it comes to organizations that have sales departments internally or externally in the contact center? Meaning I'm an outsourcer. I'm trying to bring new business into my call center, right? Or I'm actually selling the contact center services in there. What's your view on how we're treating that piece? Is it just a machine, get every juice of efficiency out of it? Or is there this human touch with it now that everyone has been remote for a while? What are you seeing in that area? I, I think we got to work from inside to outside on the focus of sales. So it's 2021, right? And, and independent of the pandemic, it's 2021. We still are using humans to persuade other humans to do things that they could or should do, right? And, and I say should do because there's times where I deal with clients and they're in the contact center space and they're helping someone with a campaign that will help that individual. They're not selling them crap they don't need. They're helping them with something that's a service that will benefit them financially, debt-related, credit-related, whatever that looks like. And so it's something that it's a service. But in this day and age, it still takes humans to be on the phone or meeting with other humans to get them to take action. And we, now, I know we don't have time to go into all the details of why that still is, but the robots, the AI has not replaced that. Now, there's automation and things that are in place that are doing some of that, but ultimately for most sales that need to occur where people aren't sure of the right choice, they need somebody to talk to. And so that's the number one goal and role of people in sales, right? No matter what sales they're in, that's their number one job. In my opinion, the and experience, the organization's job around that is to ensure that person is doing that most of the time and that is their focus most of the time, right? Not all the time. It's tough to be on phone calls eight hours out of eight hours a day. You'll melt your brain, right? Like I've tried it. You can't sustain that for more than a day or two at a time. And so the key is what can you put in place around it? What technology, what automation, what platforms, what systems, what can you do to make that salesperson's job easier, make the flow of things easier, take away their decisions and choices? Should I follow up with this person today? I talked to him last Thursday. Should I call them today? What should I do next? Automate all that. Take away the human's decision to like make a good choice or not and set it up where their number one job and focus is to just have conversations with other humans and bring that human element. That's why we need them. That's why they're so valuable and let them do that part as much as possible. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that when you leverage technology, it's neither or, it's to enable the outcome you want, right? And to do it more efficiently and more effectively so that the outcome obviously comes from the experience. If the experience is positive, the end result is retained customer, new business, new customer, whatever it may be. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And how true is this for the contact center industry where business partners that you can call friends are so rare? At Noble Biz, we made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners. 
as a complete telecom services provider with an experience of over 20 years in the industry. NobleBiz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers, big or small. Because our goal is to become the ultimate provider for the contact center industry, service quality is on top of our priority list. We will guarantee crystal clear voice quality, legal backup, smart routing, 99.9% .9 uptime, high-grade security, and an easy setup. At Noble Biz, we are confident to affirm that we have the best cost per minute in the entire contact center industry. Do you have any doubts? Get in touch and find out. Learn more about the Noble Biz voice carrier network on www.noblebiz.com. When we talk about putting all this in play though, the agents, the salespeople, the representatives, they're not doing that themselves, obviously. There is somebody, a group or a person, some person in management, leadership, that probably owns the vision of that and then has to execute on it. So any ideas, pointers, insights around how does the sales leadership impact this and what are some things that sales leaders should be doing to help make sure that what you just said actually becomes part of what they're doing versus this is the way I've always done it. You know what? I think the biggest thing, and this is where I'm excited for some of the projects and programs that I've been building recently to help with leaders, sales leaders, executives, is the common trait that happens in most organizations is salesperson who does pretty well, sometimes really well, sometimes average, they are moved up into a leadership role, a team lead, a supervisor, then maybe a manager, then maybe a branch manager, office manager, sales manager, then a director, then a VP of sales. Organizations just have this habit, and I've seen it over and over again, where they think, because you're good in sales, you should be good at leading salespeople. Because you're a good soldier, you should be good at leading other soldiers, because you know what to do and you know where to shoot, right? Because you were good at soldiering. Um, and the challenge with that is, is the, the biggest problem with that is that just because I was successful in sales and I go into a management role, doesn't mean everyone thinks the way I do, sells the way I do, talks the way I do, views scripts, views the CRM, cares about the dialer, cares about follow-ups. Everyone is playing a different game because everybody's different. The challenge though, is that leaders, if they don't get any training on this or support, they just assume everyone's like them and then they get frustrated. Well, I got excited by, you know, when they waived $10 for every appointment, uh, you know, and put that on the board. So why isn't everyone else getting excited when we're trying to pay $10, right? Everyone's got different motivations. And I think one of the biggest things, if an organization wants to succeed, especially if they want to scale, they want to grow, they want to cut down their turnover, and they basically want to increase their bottom line, is put more effort into leadership training and coaching and mentoring to help their leaders with the tools to know how to lead, not just do the job, which is sales. You know, I hear that as a common theme among a lot of people who have seen this day in, day out, is it's just this system of, this way we've always done it. You've been here long enough. I don't want to lose you or you really want this, so I'm going to appease you. That's not to mean that people genuinely aren't really good when they move up into their positions and they take more responsibility, but it doesn't feel like there's a general 
process that companies refine and constantly grow their staff in a way that allows them to find the best leaders that eventually become the ones who drive all the performance elsewhere. But we can dive into that forever and and, and definitely <laughs> dissect that even more. But let's go back to the other side of it, the buyer side, right? The customer side of it for those who aren't being sold anything, but are experiencing an interaction in their journey with that brand, right? Has that changed on their expectations and their perspective on how sales needs to meet them where they want to be met? Or is it what you've always done is still going to work because it's a tried and true process? No. Um, classic old school uh, features and benefits, facts, figures. I'm going to tell you how amazing I am right out of the gate and why we're awesome and the brands and the logos and the, the social proof and the testimonials right out of the gate. All that classic high pressure all about me, me, me just doesn't work. It's so gross. It's so ineffective. It might work at, at some level, right? Obviously, there's some people who will buy from that no matter what. Maybe they already knew what they wanted or maybe they just don't care, but it just doesn't work. Here's the big reason why. That model is built on organizations and salespeople having all the knowledge and information, having all the power. Think about car buying. Think about car buying, let's say 20 years ago, right? Early internet, people didn't have the research on cars. If you wanted to go buy a car, you had to go to a dealership. If you wanted to know what the price is, you have to ask the salesperson because you had no comparison. If you wanted to price shop, you had to drive up and down the road or state to state to get information to then make a decision. Now you don't have to. I don't have it because I'm on this recording with you, but within arm's reach of everybody, like 24-7, even while they're sleeping, is all the world's information. Access to all of it. Like literally, if you want to answer a question, you just go on your phone and answer it right away. So consumers don't need knowledge and information. They're not calling your company or listening to your, your outbound call because they need information, because they need data. What they need is wisdom, and wisdom is the application of knowledge and information specifically for that individual. They want to know, I've got this challenge or I have this goal. Don't tell me about what your thing does. Tell me about what that's going to do for me and A, how my life is going to be better and B, how this is the safest choice so that I don't make a mistake, which goes back to our evolutionary biology where as a species, we've dominated this planet because we stick in our comfort zones and we choose the safest route and stick together as a group. Um, and it takes a lot for us to do different things because different things are risky. Your prospects, the buyers, all of us, again, we don't need knowledge and information. If they just needed knowledge and information, they would have ordered it online. But the fact that they're talking to another human means they need a guide. Yeah, I think it's really important to make a differentiation between someone making a purchase because they got sold and then afterwards they don't buy from you anymore they don't use the product especially in the world that's moving towards reoccurring revenue you're justifying your existence every single day it's not like well you bought it and hopefully someday you keep doing business with us because we're the best in the space or we're proprietary or whatever and the other side of it being if you're using the wisdom, right, you're not just throwing facts and hopefully bombarding somebody and convincing them that this is a good decision just because you think it's a good decision. Ultimately, if they, it is the right decision for them, they'll see so much value after that interaction and ongoing, hopefully if it's a recurring revenue model, that 
that journey they'll take with you, they'll take it gladly. Just like when they have a great experience at a theme park, right? It's a memorable, continuous thing. They're like, I want to invest in this because the outcome for me is worth it. And that's that key piece you're talking about, right? Where that wisdom is that change. So how does a contact center though, you know, get wisdom in every single agent that takes their call? And then if you do have wisdom, how do you even cross pollinate that? Or do you just let it live in silos and hopefully that's who gets the call? Leverage technology and only the good people get the calls. <laughs> well, that is one solution. And I have built those solutions before with the help of some smart tech people where it's literally get the right calls to the right people on the team and prioritize them accordingly. The, here's the key is that it sounds really complicated. How do I get my agents to do this thing and use wisdom and then be a sales professional, not an order taker, all the stuff we talked about. I literally perfected this with $10 an hour agents. I've done this in the US, offshore, inside sales, like uh, first party, third party, short sales cycle, long sales cycle. The key is building a framework um, and having that available for the agents so they know those steps. Like we talked about earlier with the scripting and a process where you've got to uncover what the person wants. You have to be able to answer one specific question, which is what I train teams on and we build processes around. Once you have that one piece of information, then you have to be able to apply that to what you sell and then you have to move forward. And I truly believe, because again, I've seen it before with hundreds and hundreds of agents, again, across all different pay brackets. We're not just talking six figure sales rock stars. I'm talking everybody where you can do it once they understand the fundamentals and what their role is instead of what they think sales means. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and resilience. Noble Biz applauds and salutes the contact center community for not giving up and fighting the good fight, working to set contact centers on the road to success. Our contribution consists in providing one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omnichannel solutions on the market called Noble Biz Omni Plus. Take your contact center to the next level with Noble Biz Omni Plus. Get instant access to a full range selection of channels from voice calls to SMS and from email to WhatsApp, Twitter or Telegram. Get control over the external factors with the possibility to switch from an on-premise team to a remote system in just a matter of hours. And get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent dashboard and many more high-grade features. All in just one product. Noble Biz Omni Plus, a crisis-proof solution for scaling operations. One thing that every salesperson has experienced, in my opinion, at some point is a slump, right? It's a <laughs> mental slump or an actual output slump, right? Where they've allowed it to impact their ability to perform. What are some recommendations within the contact center and sales in general, leadership, whatever it is, when you hit those slumps, what are some things you can do to get back on the horse? Well, there's a couple of reasons that usually trigger slumps, but it's really basic. And I spend a lot of time with organizations going through this. And I've, and funny side note too, is I have actually in every organization that I've worked with internally and then now as a consultant, I will actually build a timeline for when agents will hit slumps. 
you'd think slumps are random, but if you look at it and we can look at the stats, you can actually predict when an agent is going to hit a slump based on common human behaviors. And it's pretty fun. And then you can see how often it's going to uh, uh, occur. And then you can mitigate it with training and management. One of the biggest reasons why slumps happen is because the agents stop doing what they were doing that worked and they start going into professional mode. But this time I'm using air quotes with professional because I don't really mean it. What it means is this salesperson goes into the, wait, I don't need to ask you any more questions. I already know what I'm selling. I know I've heard all the objections. I've heard all the reasons why people might want to buy. I don't really care about you anymore because I just know and I'm so good that I'm just going to tell you, right? I'm just going to tell you everything about us. I'm going to tell you why you need it. And I'm going to tell you why you should buy it. And then I'm just going to assume that you want. And that's not pe what people want. They want a process. They want to be treated like a human and go through this path. And again, they want a guide. They don't want a lecture. And so what happens is salesperson hits that point in their career where they think they know everything and then they're dangerous and then they hit a slump. Best way to fix that, go back to the basics. Usually what I've found in the contact vendor space is I pull, and this is you know old school with paper scripts, I go into their drawer and it's usually underneath all their snacks and it's really stained and dirty. <laughs> and I pull out their script that they made all their little notes on and doodles and hearts and whatever while they were bored on phone calls. And I take that and I put that on their desk or I print up a new one and I say, go back to the basics. When you were new, you were crushing it out of the gate and you didn't know anything better than what I told you would work, right? Here's the formula. Within moments, sometimes the very next call, they go back to the script, they're kind of upset, but they listen to me anyway. The openness that I talked about earlier that we're recruiting for. And then what happens is they make that deal happen. And I say, just do that. Don't get fancy. Just stick with what I know that I know that I know works. And when a slump is coming, just remind people, take it back. And it's the same thing. If we look at sports. Why do slumps happen in sports? Because people aren't doing that. Batter isn't doing what they were doing before. And they forgot those basics. It's about getting back to the basics and just following their formula. You know, it makes me think of two things, you know, slow down to go faster, right? People get in the fast lane because they got really good at something and they're just like myopic now, right? They got the blinders on. It's my way now on this highway. But then what you realize is like, oh, I keep missing the exit. Oh, I'm inefficient now. I'm, I'm, I'm bumping, you know, into the, into the guardrails or whatever else is going on because you're realizing that it's about you and not about both people in any interaction, especially if it's, you know, a one-to-one -one interaction, but you have to sometimes slow down and realize, oh, <laughs> I've outpaced, I've moved out of lane. I'm not aware anymore because it's all me. I'm the best person. I'm the one that knows how to do something, right? And then the flip side goes to going back and saying, managing to that, being aware, like you said, that this is going to happen, knowing when it will, probably will happen, what's causing it, hopefully to reduce the likelihood of it happening. But when and if it does happen, because human nature is at some point, yeah, we get used to be doing things, but then sometimes we're the smartest person in the room and we know best. And ultimately, if that means what you're doing isn't innovative, new, and better, then you're probably doing something that's creating that slump and that detriment, which is a challenge for a lot of people to manage. So from a leadership perspective, any ideas of how leaders can help manage that to reduce the likelihood of people actually getting into their slumps in the first place? Because going back to the basics sounds pretty simple. 
Yeah, so that's the biggest thing. One is building a model. Uh, uh, it's never going to be exact because people are all different. But if you look at enough of your historical data of your sales performance, especially people who started out well, and again, this whole principle, which I dive into a lot more when I do training with leaders, um, it, I fully, I think this fully explains beginner's luck. If beginner's luck is when you don't know what you're doing and you just kind of listen to others and you go with it and then you start thinking you're smarter. It's the same reason why I don't play poker because if I do in the beginning, I do really well and then I get in my head and I think I'm smarter than everyone else and it never works out well. So for leaders and managers, one is to build that model to have an approximate time. Number two is understanding that the solution to that is getting people back to the basics. Number three would then be, okay, who can I use? Training, trainers, HR, whoever can help me in those approximate timelines to do more training, to help people. And then I think the last thing is to understand that slumps are going to happen. And it's not just a one-time thing. It will happen to every rep over and over and over again, as long as they're in sales. So it's not a one-time thing. It's not a, hey, I dipped this and now I got it. And now I see the matrix. It's a constant thing because it's <laughs> life. The key is, is understanding, do everything you can to minimize the trough of the slump so that it's not as damaging. Because the problem is, is when it's a hardcore slump, you need your rep doing 10 sales a week. They did zero this week. They do zero next week, they're done. They might not have the mental ability to pull themselves out of that because that's so tough. Like there's only two ways, there's up or there's out of the organization. And so how can you lessen that? It's not, they, they can't ever go from, you know, they're not gonna always be a 10, 10 to six, 10 to five, and then back up. How do you make those shallow? How do you catch it as early as possible and get people back on track? That is really the key. But also remember, it's an ongoing thing. It will never stop. Every salesperson will hit a slump over and over again. Yeah, and you know, if we were gonna recap today's call, I think we can probably parse it into a couple of different categories, right? Is how do you find the right people for the role? When they get in that role, knowing they're going to fail at some point, right? They're going to get in their head. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to start deciding they're the smartest person in the room. The process they've perfected, they don't need to do it anymore, right? How do you prevent that from having as much damage? How do you understand what are the things you can do within an organization to help enable this positive environment of people to be able to go out and actually have wisdom conversations versus fact conversations because facts isn't why they're talking to you they can find it everywhere else buyers really have been empowered with information they really need your wisdom right the other parts of our conversation really focused on some very specifics that those of you who want to dive into them re-listen to it right re-listen everything jason said so that you can dive into where does that specific thing those five traits or those five aspects or those three things that come into play how do they impact you? Now, obviously, for those of you who want to be able to get this information and dive in deeper, they need to be able to get a hold of you, Jason. So what's the best way that people can connect with you because they want more of this? Uh, best, simplest thing is email me, jason at cutterconsultinggroup.com. So if you're listening to this, you want more information, uh, you had mentioned it with the books I have. I have a couple of eBooks that I'm happy to send, one for leaders and one for salespeople overcoming objections. I love sharing that and helping. But if you want to know more, um, I also do a lot where I start with a gap analysis for companies where we just look at what might be missing and then we go from there. Uh, and then if you want to look for a hub for all of the stuff that I have going on from podcasts to books to projects to everything, uh, jasoncutter.com is a good central hub to start.
Perfect. So everybody, if you want to know more about sales, if you want to know more about how to have people that aren't in a sales position actually make positive impacts in your customer journeys, reach out to Jason, see what his content is. If you want to talk to him directly, you know how to connect with him. So now let's just end it with a little bit of who you are and what you do when you're not working, right? Assuming you sometimes stop and don't tell me it's swimming with sharks because I'm going to be jealous. Okay. But seriously, what do you do to unwind? What are you doing to keep going, get your, you know, yourself out of your own ruts or just keep yourself, you know, fit or whatever you're doing? Yeah. Uh, I don't get to do as much shark tagging marine biology as I'd like. Last time I did, it was like 2012. Uh, I recently moved to Florida from California. So I'm super excited to do a lot more uh, snorkeling and diving in the area. Um, you know, I'm a warm weather guy, a warm water guy. So I'm super happy to be here. So that helps. Uh, traveling adventures, just going to new places. I feel like at this point in my life, like I have only lived on the West coast. I've only done certain things and I feel like there's just a ton of world out there to explore and people to meet and places to check out. So that's really what I do with my spare time and what drives me, especially moving to a new area. Everything is new and exciting for me. So I just love getting out and exploring. So I would say that for anybody who works in sales, right, there's this tendency to feel like almost like you're on call, right? At, at all moments, you're, you know, if you're in outside sales, like you're always ready. So being able to disconnect and have that ability to refocus, refresh, re-energize, I think is critically important. And uh, for me specifically, you know, I would love to be able to say that I've been in a shark cage and be able to, you know, check out a great white in person, but I'll be honest, I don't know that I'd be able to do it. Is that something you've done before? Ever been in a shark cage? I've never done the shark cage because where I was at in California, that was not legal to get in the water. I was when, when with my marine biology degree, I was in California near Santa Cruz and part of an organization. We were doing a lot of research projects. So I was tagging great whites. Um, the only scary part was the fact that uh, the year I started with them, they did get a bigger boat. So we had a 21 foot boat. Um, but routinely, we were being circled by 18 foot great whites. So a little bit of a size, you know, not much of an advantage for the boat. Uh, uh, 18 foot great white is giant, uh, especially when I was the 20 year old kid trying to keep them from eating the bait. Uh, then, uh, yeah, but I luckily I still have all my fingers and toes. So I'm happy about that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. We'd love to having you on sharing the content. And obviously those who want to dive in further can reach out to you. So for all of our audience, thanks so much for joining. We'll talk to you again next time. If you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. Like us, rate us, review us. If you want to hear more on our take on coronavirus, remote work, and contact centers, go to nobelbiz.com and click on webinars to see our recorded on-demand webinars. Thanks for listening to First Contact Stories of the Call Center. My name is Christian Montez, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. This podcast has been hosted by me, Christian Montez, produced, written, and edited by Bogdan Minutes, with co-executive producers Steve Biederman, Christian Montez, and Bogdan Minutes.